Hello, welcome to Fresh Pressed for April 7th, 2020. I am Gabe. And I'm Andrew. This is a show about music where we talk about... Oh, I didn't plan it, but this is really easy, isn't it? Where we talk about boot boots and boot boots. <laughs> no, what? No, why that? <laughs> <sighs> yes, everybody. Our theme this week is boots. Why is it boots? I don't know. Why was it boots? I think because I mentioned my favorite uh, local venue, Boot and Saddle, to you. Actually, that's exactly why. And you said, how about the theme is either boots or saddles? And we landed on boots. Although we could definitely do saddles. That is also a plausible leather-based theme. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Andrew, you are, I would describe you as an avid boot wearer. Do you have a favorite pair of boots right now? Um, I have a couple different pairs of boots. I have, I have two pairs of Chelsea boots, one in black and one in brown. Um, but then I do also have the boots that I prize above all, which are my cowboy boots, which I'm allowed to have because I did live in Montana for a short time and I bought them at a, at the Bozeman Trading Post. I, most most people I know who buy boots like like cowboy boots boots don't haven't earned them. But you spent a year out in the wilderness. Yeah, I mean, let's be clear. I didn't spend that much time actually in the wilderness. A lot of my time was spent inside my house and at the sushi restaurant that I worked at. So I don't know that it's really... I would gather that you have spent more time in the wilderness during that one year in Bozeman than you spent in... The Cumulatively in the rest of my life. Yeah. Or maybe even... Yeah. yeah, maybe even that. Yeah. Um, I only have a pair of hiking boots because I don't have any fashion sense. Yeah. But I can still appreciate a good boot boot. Um, sorry, boot song. <laughs> uh, and- <laughs> Andrew, uh, you have found a boot song for us. I have. Um, it is entitled Seven League Boots, and it is by Zoe Keating. Gabe, you know Zoe Keating? Yes, I'm familiar. Cellist. Yes, so she is a uh, a Canadian cellist. Um, I think she's now living in the U.S., but that doesn't really matter. I think she's still Canadian, even if she's living in the U.S. Right, yeah, that's what I meant. Um, <laughs> anyway. You were still American when you were living in Montana. <laughs> uh, oof. Um, anyway... Uh, Zoe Keating, she's a cellist, so she's a solo cellist, and so when she performs by herself, she uses, like, loop pedals and samples and stuff to complement the solo cello sound, and that's what she does on her solo albums as well. So this song in particular is just cello, and it's just her her alone on cello looped a bajillion times. I think this is really cool. I, I really like loop-based music, especially string artists that come in and uh, or maybe it's really any like melodic instrument that comes in and 
and overdubs consistently like this is really fascinates me. Um, I feel like it takes a lot of skill. You have to be able to hear, especially if you're doing it improvisationally, to be able to hear the whole sound in your head. I don't know if that makes sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, especially when it's, you're right, when it's like, when it's a melodic instrument like this, I mean, the, the, the highest number of notes that she can play at one time is, it's unlikely that she's going to play four notes at the same time. It's really two. Yeah. It's two on a string instrument like this. It's very difficult to even get a third note out at once. Yeah. So uh, if you're trying to build some like big, thick texture with a lot of notes in it, then you can only do, let's say, two at a time. And if you're doing two at a time, then your like melodic possibilities are limited as well. So what you really have to do is like, there's all this variation and stuff that she that you can hear in this song but but it all comes together uh to make to make this larger piece of music just with uh her own two hands in one instrument something i find cool about what she's doing here is she's really making full use of all of the sounds that the instrument can make there's bowing and plucking and all sorts of uh, different techniques being used there and she makes i think wonderful use of um, the harmonic, um, which in string instruments is when you very lightly touch the string so that it splits into a half or a third at a specific point on the string, and you can create a note that sounds an octave or two octaves or an octave and a fifth above what you're actually playing it, and it has this ringing effect, so it sounds like a bell. So why is this song titled Seven League Boots, Andrew? And also, uh, do you think that refers to the number of leagues walked in the boots or the number of leagues that the boot can walk? And also, how far is a league? That's a great question. I'm so glad you asked all these questions, Gabe, because this morning I was like, you know what? I should do some research into Seven League Boots. (laughs) And so I did that. (laughs) Wow. I'm so proud of you. Seven League Boots are sort of a recurring item in various... European folk folklore stories uh, throughout the ages. You can take a, a stride of seven leagues in each step. Oh. Hmm, I didn't get to that possibility, but very cool. Yeah. To your question of how long is a league, a league is roughly three miles or 4.8 kilometers and was considered to represent the distance walked in an hour by an average man. Oh, wow. That's a very useful number. Right? But it makes no sense then why it got applied to nautical terminology. Well, it's for Jesus. Oh, it's for Jesus. Okay, but it's Easter time. Uh, anyway, uh, Seven League Boots uh, come up in a lot of different stories. I read one this morning entitled The Bee and the Orange Tree. So do you want to tell us about the story? Yeah. So basically in this story, there's this... Hi, everybody. Um... It's Andrew. I am editing this episode the following day, and it's at this point in the recording where I begin to recount this uh, 17th century French fairy tale. And that takes about 27 minutes. So instead of making you listen to that, because its connection to our show 
and t- to even the theme of Seven League Boots is tenuous at best. Uh, instead, I have removed it, uh, moved forward with the recording, and I'm going to release that story as a separate episode uh, probably later this afternoon. So if you want to learn the story of the bee and the orange tree, you are welcome to. That will be available to you. But you don't have to sit here for about the same time as the episode normally takes to listen to just a story that has nothing to do with music. So you're welcome. I'm sorry. And uh, let's move on. Anyway, that's that's a song that I've picked for this week. That was about forty-five minutes. We've gotten through one song. So, Gabe, would you like to tell me about your boot song this week? Oh man, yeah, I suppose I will. I suppose I will. Um, I brought a song titled "Lost in My Boots" by Kwaye. whole thing planned about how I was going to talk about how wonderful it is to do like the theme section of this podcast because occasionally you stumble upon a song and you find some cool artist or some cool story but I think we covered that pretty thoroughly in the last song so I'm just going to move right along um uh, uh, Kwaye is Kwayedza Kurea, who is a Zimbabwean British artist who is now based out of Los Angeles. So very global. Honestly, not a lot out there about him. He uh, is yet to release any sort of like full record, although he has like an EP and a few singles. Um, this is one of those singles um, from 2017. He does have something of a cool like discovery story um okay so he's riding in an uber in los angeles and he's talking with this guy his uber driver he's like yeah i make music and <laughs> just the waiting uber for this like, to be an incredibly long story where he ends up on an island and he meets quiet with two e's <laughs> hey everyone future andrew jumping in one more time to just say that that joke's gonna make a lot more sense after you listen to all of the bee in the orange tree okay goodbye so he's riding his Uber and he plays a demo of one of his songs in the Uber. And the Uber driver's like, wow, that's really good. And it turns out the Uber driver was a former uh, music exec in the industry. That's, uh, this is actually a pretty upsetting story. Um, and then he got signed to a label. So good luck. Uh, other musicians you should always make sure to play your songs to your uber drivers but also it seems a little strange to me that like this former music industry exec who i assume would have 
lots of money for that from that would become an Uber driver, which is not a particularly well-paying position. That's why I'm saying it's an upsetting story because it's like actually this guy who was presumably pretty successful now has to drive Uber. Unless he just enjoys it, but no one driving does. an Uber ends up coming to be like three or four dollars an hour because of wear in your car and gas and can't imagine it's better in LA. No, anyway. I'm sure it's terrible in LA. This is a classic post-breakup song, I'd say. Yeah. You know, talking about hoping to see better days and that it's a shame. And uh, there's probably some lying going on. It sings about all of your fictional ways. But what really stands out to me about this song is um, Quiet has a wonderful voice. It is like honey. It's beautiful. Yeah, he is one of those voices where, like, like the second I turned on this song for the first time and heard his voice, I was like, oh, fuck, this is going to be good, you know? Yeah, and it is. Um, he's got great control and just beautiful tone, and he has a ridiculously wide range, although it's not as evident on this song. I found an acoustic version of him singing it live in studio on YouTube, and he, like, dives down for some of these notes. And he can go really low. Um, which it's like kind of rumbly and just like mm, good voice music. Yeah. I hope that he ends up putting out more music because they're, uh, it's pretty limited. And um, like his whole social media presence seems fairly pared back. Um, these days so I hope it's not like uh, one of these artists that like shows up for a few songs and then disappears forever talk about your new tune for this week i would love to so the song that i have brought that is new this week is uh called salute by namdi salute to my lord silent and above he remains Salute to no more. So long to my lonely prayers. Salute to uh, my Namdi Lord. is Namdi Obanaya, who is uh, a musician from Chicago. I just, I just said musician because it's really hard to say anything more specific than that. Vocalist, multi instrumentalist, producer. 
sure all those things yeah musician's a good word for it i think yeah it's it's easy to say you can say a lot of words but there, it's hard to say one word that's any more specific than musician agreed so this is off of his new album entitled brat and this album is insanely good it is so good and it's so varied i think my favorite album of the week yeah i i think so too it's either this one or the one that, that you or you're picking from so this is i think a good week for this podcast yeah i didn't realize but i actually listened to his previous album drool um which someone recommended to me and that someone might have been npr or it might have been a real person i don't remember but <laughs> anyway i listened to his previous album which is a little uh I think a little less varied in genre across the album as a whole. Okay. Well, it's I'm not saying that it's boring in any way. It's it's really excellent. But this one I didn't realize that I had heard his previous music when I was started listening to this album because th- that first track doesn't really sound like the same artist as the album Drool. The album Drool is is a lot more uh people sort of considered him to be like a in the like weird rap realm after hearing that album okay which is not really his maybe is one of his realms but not his only but because that the because drool is a lot more uh unified in its in its genre um that was sort of like what category he was falling into the first track on this album and a lot of the music of of brat is does not is i would you couldn't there'd be no reason to call it that like that wouldn't cross your mind. No, it didn't cross my mind, I think, at all. And I haven't heard any of his previous music. This record is so stylistically diverse. Um, and this is the last track on the record. And it is, what, the probably the mo- It's on one end of that stylistic spectrum, I think. Right, yeah. This is, like, the most... I guess chill would maybe be the word. Relaxed. Le- le- the least busy I don't know that song. it is relaxed. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, yes. In that it's so busy that it's chill. You know? There's a specific technique that he does. A specific style that he uses that I really enjoy in other music that really contrasts with the simplicity of... So, okay. There's two, there's two main aspects of this song, Salute, which are his vocals which are really simple and beautiful and and chill. And then the instrumentation, which is either like very spare to show his vocals or uh, very full of a lot of like electric guitar and a ton of drums in sort of the tradition of, you know, those, I don't, I can't think of what the genre is, is supposed to be called, but like that sort of like post-rock, like explosions in the sky kind of thing, like yeah, of just like fullness of, of sound. Right, and that sort of interplays with this with this simply simple and produced and smooth vocal line uh, in a way that I think is really impressive. So I Another thing about the vocals 
is that uh, this is an example of a f- one of a technique that I really respect and enjoy, which is artful and intentional use of auto tune. Yes, that's something consistent across the album is how much he plays with vocal effects. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this particular song, it's a, a subtle but intentional use of auto tune. Eh, maybe not that subtle, but. Not T-Pain, but... Right, it's between, like, what every single pop musician does, which is fix their voice, right? Fix any imperfection. Right. Um, And what T-Pain does, which is obliterate his voice. Or even what, you know, like, Kanye does that too, like, puts it on really hard. And this is not as far as that. Not that any of these approaches are bad, by the way. Um, No, they're just different approaches. Yeah, they're just different approaches. And what I like about this is that it's, it's... there enough that like he's obviously using auto tune, but it's not so there that it's that his voice is still the instrument. Like it does not become just like it's it doesn't become like mouth guitar. You know what I mean? Right. The some of the Kanye T Pain stuff veers into like practically being a vocoder, but it's it's obvious enough that it's intentionally supposed to be heard. Right. It's not supposed to be just a background effect that's part of making the song sound perfect but rather an intentional artistic use right yes that's exactly it salute to my lord silent and above he remains there salute to no more so long to my lonely prayers and I heard Um, the lyrics on this song are, I think, very classic you, Andrew. Um, <laughs> in what uh, way? I've found that you are very interested in some of the anguish that can be associated with God and religion. It's a great verse that's repeated, right? I, I heard you visit kings when they call upon your name. I was told you're listening, so why won't you visit me? Um, so both his parents are ministers, which is really interesting. Hmm. Um, and, uh, he has an article, there's an article in the fader that, where he talks about each song individually. Um, and what he says about this song is, um, it encompasses me growing up in a religious household, putting faith in a higher power or just putting faith in other people, knowing that people are human and people make mistakes and you have to take matters into your own hands as much as you can to find your own joy and find your own happiness. That looking inwards is more important than trying to get any sort of validation or influence from an outside source. And he also says in this that, you know, both his parents are ministers and he never sends his parents music. They just hear it when it comes out. And the interviewer says like, so how do you think they'll react to this album? Like, and especially this, this last track. And he says, I don't know. I can, go both ways i think they'll think it's a powerful song i'm not sure how they'll interpret what i'm saying I'll, i just have to wait and see which is really interesting because i th- i think he does a good job at least here of not saying exactly what he's saying he's not saying like well it's sort of me realizing like there is no god and i have to worry about myself what he's saying is like it's important to look inwards and find validation of your find your own happiness rather than look for validation from any outside source right in some ways, you could say that that's not, like, a strong stance that he's taking because he's not trying to, like, say something, um, not trying to dictate anything. But I think that's a really powerful stance for him to take and that he's not saying, like, he's not 
he's written a song about God that is asking questions of God, um, but he's not trying to say or establish anything, any conclusions. What he wants you to come away with is just something that's that's completely unrelated to God, something that's just about uh, yourself and about uh, you know self-actualization, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's a powerful approach to religion, which is using it to help understand the world around you um, as an exploration rather than as a series of dogmas. So what do you have that's new this week, Gabe? And how did you find it? Did you find it all by yourself or did I send it to you? I found this all by myself with no help from Andrew, who is trying to steal credit for something that he absolutely helped me with. Um, This is Banjo Gujeng, Pick and Girl from Wufei and Abigail Washburn off their uh, self-titled record. Going around this world, baby mine. Going around this world, baby mine. Going around this world, I'm a banjo picking girl. Going around this world, baby mine. So yes, Andrew, you sent this to me, and I was like, "Huh, it looks pretty interesting." Didn't listen to it for maybe like 24 hours, then listened to it, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is so <laughs> fucking cool." Um, so this is essentially a folk music mashup record, um, from, uh, traditional Chinese folk music, which first let's say that is an extremely vague term. There are so many ethnicities and folk traditions based inside of China that it is very difficult to say that there is one Chinese folk music. Uh, and actually, uh, Wu Fei acknowledges that in some interviews talking about the different ethnic traditions that she pulls some of her music from, which is cool. Um, so Wu Fei is uh, a Gujeng player from Beijing who studied at the Chinese, uh, the China Conservatory of Music. So a Gujeng, Andrew, is a kind of Chinese zither. Mm-hmm. So it's usually played horizontally um, with Anywhere between 21 and like 30 strings. I've seen this played live actually a few different times. Um, you play it with both hands, um, but you're not like pressing on the strings um, so much. Like uh, like a violin or a cello, for instance, right? You're not pushing on a fingerboard. Um, it's closer to a harp in that perspective. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it, they're, the strings are raised pretty significantly from the sound body box. of the yeah from the body of the instrument um it's usually played with finger picks but that's also not to say that you don't press on the strings at all because as you can hear in this song and all the other songs one of the like 
distinctive techniques of this kind of instrument is uh like pitch bending by like you really like pretty significantly press and stretch on the string um on the opposite side of the bridge than what you're plucking right that probably doesn't make any sense to people who are not musicians but basically uh this instrument is like a big wide flat board with strings and the strings are raised up by what's called a bridge so that's like at the bottom of like a violin or, or a string instrument is that like that light wood piece that the strings go over before they connect to the bottom the bottom of the of the instrument right um and on this instrument the guzheng and uh other instruments like it like the japanese koto is the same kind of instrument sort of adopted by the japanese yeah you can actually move the bridges and thereby change the pitch of the of the strings and then you can also change the pitch by you're plucking on one side of the bridge and you're pressing on the same string on the opposite side of the bridge, which doesn't dull the sound at all because it's broken by the bridge, but it does change the tension of the string, which thereby changes the pitch. Right. Um, and that's particularly important on a gujeng because um, they tend to be tuned or almost exclusively tuned in a pentatonic scale. So that gives you quite a bit of limitation uh, on the scales you can play if you're not bending the strings. But as you can hear in this song and in other songs on the record, Wufei makes use of that technique. Um, she is a very accomplished Gujeng player. Um, she was, you know, like considered a musical prodigy, and ended up in the United States doing some avant-garde work um, and some interesting like collaborations, like this one. <laughs> Abigail Washburn, the other half of this duo, is also quite well known in her own right as a claw hammer style banjo player. And she has a pretty interesting history. Um, she went to school to Colorado College um, as their first East Asian studies major and became fluent in Chinese. Um, she's from like Illinois and Minnesota and like like the upper Midwest, basically. Um, <laughs> you know, I was, but, I was wondering about that because she does sing in, in Chinese. Yes. And her accent is quite good. It's not necessarily something you'd have, you, you'd notice, but she, right, she'll sing along with Buffet. Her, it's, I think they both can sing in the other language from their native language pretty proficiently. Um, but Washburn um, almost became a, a lawyer in China. And wow. spent years there and has since like toured quite a bit there and is one of the few like American artists who is enabled by the Chinese government to spend a lot of time uh, in China um, doing performances of American folk music uh, or interpretations of uh, Appalachian folk music primarily. Go North Carolina, baby, my. Okay, so these two completely disparate folk traditions come together and meld in this wonderful album um, of which this is one particular song. This song, I think, showcases all of the different aspects that they bring to the music, which is uh, the folk stylings, both instruments, both vocalists, and, um, 
and it's a lot of fun. This is a fun song, and it's really fun to watch them play it live. They've been performing together in some capacity for uh, nearly 15 years, um, but this is their first record as a duo together. I was listening to this track again this morning in preparation, and I'm so glad that you picked this one. Uh, because like you said, it showcases all of those aspects, you know, each of their individual uh, virtuosity on on their own instrument. And then also just the the like meaning of the song is great and super fun. <laughs> that everyone in America is aware of but is maybe not that familiar with and sometimes people have a certain opinion of the banjo that is a does a disservice to the uh, possibilities of that instrument um, it doesn't have a very highbrow reputation let's say but that is I mean it is such a diverse and interesting string instrument there's it's really not that different from a guitar or, uh, you know, like any other stringed fretted instrument. Well, you may not be familiar with the Gujang because it's a foreign instrument. I might be like, ooh, this is so interesting. But like the Gujang is is a, just a, a Chinese folk instrument. Like it's been around forever. It has a bunch of different permutations in the same way that a banjo does. But I think it's really interesting to put them together and say like, hey, these are sort of function in a similar way. Each have such incredible possibilities and, and opportunity for like virtuoso playing like you can hear from both of these women on this album and they both do a great job of showing both the similarities and the differences between these two instruments so there's times where it's it's hard to tell which one exactly is playing and there's other times where one is clearly mimicking the other in its technique and then there are times where one is 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 fully like you couldn't you couldn't replicate it on the other instrument. It's cool to not be able to tell the difference sometimes between which instrument is playing, and that requires an enormous amount of skill on the part of the instrument that's mimicking the other, because you're basically playing outside of your normal tradition as that instrumentalist. <laughs> The other last point I wanted to make was the incredible difference in time and age between Chinese folk music and American folk music. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like these songs from Appalachian folk music with the banjo are what, maybe 200 years old at the very, very maximum. Yeah. The Gujang has been around in some form for uh, well over 2,000 years. Which is incredible, and it's uh, almost seems like a quirk of history that these two instruments would exist at the same time together, playing in such a wonderful duet. <laughs> Ten years, 
Andrew, were there any other records you wanted to highlight from this past week? Um, there were. Give me a second, though. What were, did you want to highlight from this past week? Well, we've talked about Thundercat before, but Thundercat's album has officially come out, titled It Is What It Is. It is so delightful and fun, and you can have another listen to our selection from, uh, or Andrew's selection from a, a month or so ago, Dragon Ball Do-Rag, which is even more delightful in the context of the album. And another record I wanted to point out uh, that's gotten a lot of buzz, and I think well-deservedly so, is uh, Eve to Moore's Heaven to a Tortured Mind, um, which is a really fascinating stylistic mashup of vocals and guitars and like rock music from uh, an artist who is traditionally known for a much more laid-back style. Um, there's a new album from M. Ward, who I was supposed to see in two weeks, but that's not happening. Mm. Um, it's very nice. Uh, there's also a new single from Orville Peck. I don't know if you listen to that, but it does fit with our boot <laughs> and leather related themes. Uh, but that's cool. There's, there's going to be some new Orville Peck soon. That's very exciting. Great. So that's our show for the week. Uh, you should follow us on Twitter at Fresh Pressed Pod if you haven't already. Um, if you want to listen to these songs in their full length format, um, you can check out our Spotify playlist, which is in the show notes. We will be coming back to you with another episode of Fresh Pressed on Tuesday, April 14th. Um, and until then, here's Andrew with one last sentence. Here's Andrew with some wise advice for tired ears. Mm, here's Andrew with a tune to brighten your day. No. Here's Andrew. <laughs> okay, I have a very short thing for, for to say to you all today. There was once upon a time a king and a queen who wanted nothing to make them happy <laughs> but children. The queen was already aged. I'm Gabe. I'm Andrew. You've been listening to Fresh Press. <laughs>